Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Mark Zuckerberg says he isn't going anywhere and something to remember during your Thanksgiving dinner. But first, President Trump punts on Saudi Arabia. As you've almost certainly heard by now, Trump yesterday issued a two-page statement on the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi by Saudi officials. And the bottom line, he refuses to accept the CIA's reported conclusion that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was most likely aware of the plot. And even if such incontrovertible proof does eventually emerge, it's not important enough to risk America's alliance or arms deals with the kingdom. It was a callously constructed statement that horrified a lot of people, including several Republican senators, but was exactly the message that a lot of U.S. business leaders had been waiting for. So here's what I mean. You probably remember how Saudi Arabia hosted a huge investment conference last month and that tons of big name CEOs basically boycotted, including the heads of companies like JP Morgan, BlackRock and Uber. But a lot of those same CEOs also refused to cut or even amend their actual business arrangements with Saudi, arguing that they didn't yet have all the facts on the Khashoggi murder and that in the end, they would basically follow the US government's lead. In other words, we follow the rules, we don't make them. So this was an escape route. It was a escape route designed to hold on to Saudi's big money, devised by CEOs who very loudly disagreed with the White House on other policy matters like climate change or immigration. And Trump yesterday paved that escape route for them and waved them through. So here's where we're at. While there will continue to be investigations into what happened to Jamal Khashoggi, it's case closed for both President Trump and corporate America. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios national political reporter, Jonathan Swan. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by Axios national political reporter Jonathan Swan, who actually wrote about this situation back on Sunday. So, Jonathan, does Trump not believe the CIA conclusion or does he just not care? He doesn't care. The statement he put out yesterday, believe it or not, was actually asinine tweet that I saw was um, Senator Rand Paul saying, oh, this looks like it was written by John Bolton. You know, he's always trying to pin things on the Bolton neocon sort of wing of the White House. This statement was pure Trump and actually was a sanitized version of what Trump really believes. What Trump really believes is what we reported on Sunday, which actually foreshadowed this statement quite well. Trump thought it was ridiculous and was saying this privately to aides, thought it was ridiculous that so much international attention was being focused on one guy being the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, who was murdered brutally inside the embassy uh, by the Saudis. Trump never really privately, according to people who've spoken to him, sort of got into, oh, oh did they know, didn't they know? His, his posture was, well, maybe they did, but whether they did or not, he wasn't ever going to in any fundamental way alter the U.S. relationship with Saudi Arabia. Trump's view, and this is what he was saying all along, is he's always saying this. He goes, look around the world. There's, you know, President Xi in China doing brutal things. It's a tough world out there, brutal. Everyone's brutal. Why are we, you know, paying so much attention to this one thing? So that was how Trump viewed it all along. And that statement yesterday, if anything, 
is a sanitized version of what Trump really believes. He, it's interesting you say that. Trump's history over the last couple of years, of course, has been when it comes to our allies, and, and he obviously believes Saudi Arabia has won. That was kind of the, a big piece of the statement yesterday. He's actually been very willing and actually almost seemingly eager to be very tough on allies in the past. Why in this particular situation is he not willing to hold the Saudis' feet to the fire like he would? I mean, if this was France, you'd think he'd be, you know, demanding parades, you know, supporting sanctions against France. Right. There's obviously the unknowable, which is whatever's outside the realm of government. You know, there has been speculation about Trump's, you know, the fact that he does have Saudis investing in his departments, things like that. I, I have no idea whether that has any bearing on his feelings towards Saudi Arabia. But I can just tell you from what he says to his aides privately, Trump views the Saudis in very positive light for one main reason, which is that they are spending a fortune buying U.S. weapons. And Trump is very proud of that arms deal that he did with the Saudis early last year. It was his first foreign trip to, was to Riyadh. And they, they, did, they, they rolled out the red carpet the way Trump views countries like France, Germany, traditional allies, is he doesn't view them in the context of the post-World War II relationship and the history of the alliance. He views them as, particularly the Europeans, as a collection of countries that owe America money. You saw yesterday, after Trump's statement, you saw obviously a lot of political rhetoric against Trump's statement, not only by Democrats, but also by a bunch of Republican senators. I mean, you mentioned Rand Paul, but Lindsey Graham, Bob Corker, etc. Is there any reason to believe that Republicans in the Senate in the lame duck session will actually take some sort of action against Saudi Arabia over Trump's wishes? I think there's some reason to believe, because there still is a rump of Republicans in the Senate who hold these traditional uh, foreign policy views, uh, values-based views, views of America as you know, a beacon and, and uh, are horrified by the statement. Bob Corker's certainly in that camp. Um, and there's obviously Democrats who share that view. So there's certainly potential for it. I haven't seen any great appetite from the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, to get into this fight. And knowing his priorities, Mitch McConnell is squarely focused on confirming as many judges as, as humanly possible. And he's already kind of stymieing, to some extent, Trump's wishes on criminal justice reform because he doesn't want to suck up any floor time. He wants to use every bit of floor time to get his judicial nominees through. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sort of groundswell on the Hill, but I'd be surprised if Mitch McConnell lifts a finger to help it happen. Within that caucus, that kind of rump of traditional GOP foreign policy feeling, how should we think about what this ultimately means for the CIA and the people who were kind of told, hey, go find out what happened? They find out what happened and the response from basically from their boss or their boss's boss is, yeah, thanks for that. I don't care. Well, it's not the first time. You know, this is now a pattern. I was in the room with Trump and Putin uh, in Helsinki at that press conference when uh, the president stood there and credited Putin's denial over the findings, the consensus findings of the U.S. intelligence community. So it's not like this is some aberrant event that's never happened before. This is a, a pattern. I don't cover the CIA, so I haven't spoken to rank-and-file CIA operatives, so I could only speculate. But there's certainly been reporting in other outlets that uh, U.S. intelligence professionals are very discouraged by, uh, by what's going on, and you can understand why. Absolutely. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much, and have a good Thanksgiving. You too, mate.
Thanks to Jonathan Swan, national political reporter for Axios. My final two right after this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to Get Smarter Faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Mark Zuckerberg, who last night fired back at Facebook's critics in an interview with CNN. A lot of the criticism around the biggest issues has been fair, but I do think that if if we're going to be real, there is this bigger picture as well, which is that we have a different worldview than than some of the folks who who are, are covering this. Zuckerberg was, in a word, defiant, and that included when it came to a question about whether he'd be willing to step down as chairman of Facebook, a role that he holds in addition to being CEO. He said no, he's not going anywhere, which means we should expect the critics to begin digging in even deeper. And finally, something to consider in the context of increased political polarization and our fears that they may rear their ugly heads during tomorrow's Thanksgiving feast. So we all know the basic story of the first Thanksgiving between the Pilgrims and the Native Americans of Plymouth, Massachusetts. But the actual holiday owes its existence to Abraham Lincoln centuries later. At the urging of a magazine editor named Sarah Josepha Hale, Lincoln turned Thanksgiving from a small event celebrated at different times in different regions into a national holiday, believing that the country in the midst of a civil war needed what he called a day apart. Basically one day to leave our differences at the door and celebrate what binds us rather than what divides us. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Jukebox Day. Yeah, it's not Thanksgiving quite yet. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata Podcast.